The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Psalm 22, on page 457 of your Pew Bibles. One of my favorites. Again, that is Psalm 22, on page 457 of your Pew Bibles. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cried by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden the fa his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All, of the, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Uh, Heavenly Father, I just, um, I pray you'd send your Holy Spirit to us now as we look at this word, Lord. I pray um, that you'd help me teach it faithfully, clearly. Uh, Most of all, Lord, I pray for each person in here to us through this word in a way that we can't deny, can't ignore. Uh, We'd learn how to bring our hearts to you in the way that you invite us, and we would see uh, your great love for us therein. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're spending some time on Psalms through the month of January, I guess in Psalms, and today we're gonna encounter a Psalm of lament. So what is lament? Have you heard that word before? Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow or pain offered up to God in the midst of suffering. So a lament is a passionate expression of grief, sorrow, or pain offered up to God in the midst of suffering. And lament usually has an aspect of complaint in it. So I don't mean like whining, griping. Um, God doesn't like that, okay? It, it's, not, it's not a nitpicky kind of a thing. It's more of the, the complaint is more of a sense of confusion, or as one scholar called it, a disequilibrium. So it goes like this. God, I thought we were close, and now I feel like you're far and you've forgotten me and I don't understand. Where are you? That kind of a complaint. Where are you? I thought we, I thought we were close. I thought we were, we were near and you feel far away. So you, you see that in verse one of this psalm, don't you? What does the author say? My God, my God, why have you, what? Forsaken me. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? I don't feel like you're hearing me anymore. I used to feel like you did. I don't feel like you're close to anymore. I, I used to feel like you were. So this is a psalm of lament. That is amazing for me to realize that. Depending on how you label them, there are over 50 psalms of lament in the book of Psalms. 50. So if there's 150 psalms, 50 psalms of lament, my math's not great, that's about one-third. One-third of the psalms are bringing this expression of grief, sorrow, or pain to God in the midst of suffering. One-third. Some of them are individual laments like this one. Some of them are community laments. What does it mean for us that this many of the psalms are this kind of a prayer? Lament. What does it mean? I got a few thoughts on that before we get into this one. Number one, here's what it means. You are welcomed and encouraged to lament in the midst of your own suffering. We, we read prayers like these, but when we pray, maybe in my experience or my experience with others, we don't feel like we're allowed to pray like this. And so what's amazing is God has inspired these prayers, right? That's what we believe at this church. This, is, this Bible is God's word. So God has inspired a prayer wherein the author of the prayer says to God, where are you? I don't feel like you're here. Wow. So we've been calling Psalms community events for your heart. So as you come to a Psalm like this and you see the author lamenting, it gives you a vehicle or a cookie cutter for the cookie dough of your your stuff, a jello mold for your life, to bring in your own business, your own lament into the framework of this psalm, and it encourages you to lament. You can lament when others have treated you poorly and you've suffered injustice. Lament it. You can lament the, the injustice of the world at large. 
You can lament the, the wreckage of your own regrets and mistakes and things you've done to hurt others and ruin your own life. Uh, you can lament just the, the situations of a broken world, right? Sickness, aging, death, any sorrow, any pain, lament it, bring it to the Lord. You're encouraged and welcome to do so. Isn't that nice? Isn't that freeing? Uh, second thing, it reminds us that Christian worship shouldn't be cozy fluff. Cozy fluff. Sometimes church can give you the idea that everybody at church has it all together and we're just flying high all the time, you know? Just full of joy. Joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where? <laughs> down in my heart. Uh, don't get me wrong, I, I do have joy. And you do too. I do have joy. Um, but I also, we also, you also, we have pain. And the, the Psalms remind us um, that we worship at this time where we do have joy and we do have truth and we do have wisdom and we also have questions and confusion and pain and hurting and grief. And so I want you to know if you're new with us and you're suffering and you felt like, man, I don't, I don't know if I have it all together enough to go to church. Well, let's just go ahead and admit, can I just speak for all of us? We don't have it all together. Okay? And if you've got suffering or issues or questions, hey, come on in. You're, you're right at home. <laughs> okay? Bring your suffering because that's what the Psalms say to us. Come on, bring, bring it in. Let's come together. Um, so maybe you're saying as you're sitting there, hey, my life's going great right now. Praise God, God has given Psalms to you like, one, like Psalm 150. Okay, they're psalms of joy and celebration. Another benefit of lament, well, I hope you are, that's wonderful. If you are feeling great today, it reminds you that some of your brothers and sisters are not. It reminds you of the, the suffering church throughout the world. Or reminds you of others who have gone through loss recently. And so the psalms of lament, they, they really help us in corporate worship because it gives us a compassion for others. I, I think of what Paul says in Romans 12, 15. What's kind of like the norm for the Christian life when it comes to relating with others? Romans 12, 15. What do you do with those who rejoice? Rejoice with those who rejoice. And then if somebody's weeping, what do you do with that person? You weep with those who weep. Laments remind us of that. Third thing I'll say, all these laments teach us. Laments help us doubt our doubts. Laments help us doubt our doubts. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes I'll hear, and I've felt it before, I've thought it before, You'll hear this doubt. How could I believe the God of the Bible when there's all this evil and suffering in the world? Okay? Have you felt that before? I felt that before. Come on, that's an important question. I've, I've received that question before. It's a valid question. But laments ask you to doubt your doubt. Here's what I mean. Why did you expect that if the God of the Bible was the real God that there would not be evil and suffering in the world? Why did you expect that? Where did you get that idea? Who made to you that promise? You hear 50 laments shouting back at you, hey, God good and well knows there is evil and suffering in the world. In fact, if there were no evil and suffering in the world, it would be really hard to believe in the God of the Bible. It would be really hard to believe in him. So when we look at laments, I'm not trying to deal here with all the answers to the problem of evil. But when we look at laments, I think it reminds us, hey, the Bible's pretty realistic. 
It's pretty honest about evil and suffering. And so not is it honest, but it gives you a, a solid ground for how to grieve it and for how to have hope in the midst of that grief. So I'm so, I'm so thankful that the laments are in here. Now let's try to walk through this lament together. I've been calling Psalms community, God hosting community events for our hearts. And in that way, uh, it's important to know the characters in your Psalm, because it's a party. And we learn from all the voices. We learn from all the perspectives. So in this Psalm, it's especially too important, important to note who wrote it. So what do you have in the little editor's uh, subscript there before verse one? Who wrote this? The Psalm of David. As you read through the Psalms, you'll find many, many Psalms are written by David. Why is that important? Is it just simply a copyright issue? Hey, give the man his credit. He's a good poet. Of course not. Who is David? What makes him notable? Well, he's kind of the first draft of the king God's people are hoping for. He's the first draft. Uh, a man after God's own heart. He, um, he exemplifies the people in a way. He represents the people and he leads the people. The, the health of the people depends on the faithfulness of the king. And so as we read a psalm here, we see an example on how to lament or how to suffer or in other Psalms, we see even an example when David really messes it up. We see an example on how to confess, an example on how to repent. Not only that, God has promised David, we know from the big storyline of the Bible, right? God has promised David that one of his sons will be the ultimate king, the final draft, and he will reign forever. And so as we read a Psalm that's written by David, we've kind of got to pay attention to the voice of the king in there. Very important. Uh, what's the second group of people involved in this psalm? Again, you see that in the little, in the little uh, edit before verse one. Who else is there? Who did uh, David email this to when he was finished? To the choir master. Take a wild guess and uh, wonder what he does for a living. I think he masters the choir, okay? And what do choirs do? They sing, and evidently David was like, I really love this tune. It's a little tune called The Doe of the Dawn. And I would like to sing this psalm to the Doe of the Dawn. And we're all like, I don't get it. Just put together what you know. What were the people supposed to do with this psalm? Sing it, okay? So this is not just David's little journal entry, you know, and somebody stole his journal, and they're like, Look what the king wrote. No, it is his journal entry, edited and published for the people to use and to sing and to meditate on. And so when I said it really is the cookie cutter for the cookie dough of your experience, here we have, uh, this is the model for that. Hey, God's people, I lamented like this and God came through for me like this. I want you to plug in your situation now and lament like that too and hope in God like that too, do you see? We're supposed to sing this, we're supposed to meditate on this, we're supposed to plug in our experience to it. So now let's try to enter in. Psalm 22, it's unique for a couple reasons, I'll throw these at you real quick. Number one, it's darkness is very, very dark. 
The, the lowness of his situation is very, very low. The intensity of the suffering is very, very high. It is, it is such a lament that I, for one, can't, I can enter in a little bit, but I haven't faced horrid things quite to this extent. It's very troubling, very dark. Another reason it's unique is you have this weird, last-minute, shocking turn of events in verse 21 that almost seems to make no sense. The author goes into the mouth of the lion. That's what he says. I'm assuming that's kind of like we're in trouble now when you're like seeing the teeth, you know? He goes into the mouth of the lion, and then the second half of the verse in verse 21, he says, what does he say? You've rescued me. And, and so we have this just abrupt turn where with no context, with no explanation, we go from the darkest of dark to just a party and a feast and celebration and joy and praise. And so we're left going, I don't get it. What happened? Well, I'm going to do my best to try to help us out with that. Three things I want to look for now as we work through the Psalms. This Psalm, number one, we're going to see in David an example of how to lament with stubborn faith. He is going to lament the first 20 verses big time, expressing his grief and sorrow to God with that complaint. But there's always gonna be a but or a yet. He's not gonna let go. So he's keeping that stubborn faith even when every experience he has seems to contradict his faith, he's gonna hang on to it. Lament with stubborn faith. Then we're gonna see what you can hope for when you lament with stubborn faith. The, the celebration at the end, the victory, the, the salvation, what you can hope for when you lament with stubborn faith. And then third, because when I get there, if I'm grieving or lamenting, it's hard for me to grab onto it. It's hard for me to believe that it's real. I wanna give you the source and power for that hope, which I think comes at the very end of the psalm. So number one, the lament, verses one to 20. Number two, the hope for those who lament with stubborn faith, 27 to 31 or sorry, 21 to 26, and then 27 to 31, the power to give you that hope, the power to actually make it yours, okay? So let's begin, first of all, the lament, verses one to 20. I like to think of David's lament in here as kind of a descending staircase. You get this pattern of increasing darkness as you work into it. Uh, the complaint gets longer and longer. The situation gets worse and worse. And yet, as we see this complaint three times, we're also gonna get a, and yet, but. So he's lamenting with stubborn faith. Let's work through it together. As we look at this, guys, plug in your own heart, will you? Plug in your own heart. Um, look into, this is an experiential psalm. It has feelings in it. You're allowed to have those as a Christian. Plug feelings in there. Ask yourself, have I ever felt this way? Have I ever named a feeling like this before? Let's walk through it. Verses one to two. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Verse two, I can feel this one. Oh my God, I cry day by day, you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. How would you describe his feeling? He feels abandoned. He calls him, do you hear how personal this is? Oh my God, we have a history 
We're, we have a relationship. We have a connection. And now I'm crying to you. You're not answering me. I don't feel like you're hearing me. I don't feel like you're around. And then he says, I find no rest. And so this word has in it, I used to have this sense of peace and closeness and trust in you. I used to have that. I don't have that right now. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Do you know what the word forsaken means? You know, I was here and then I left. He feels like God has abandoned him, doesn't he? What's in, have you ever felt that way? Okay, is he, have you ever wondered, where are you? Are you allowed to pray this way when you look into a psalm? But yet here's what's so amazing as a stubborn faith. He doesn't go, well, I'm gonna go be an atheist now because my life's hard. I'm gonna go worship Baal. No, he doesn't do that at all. Look at what he says in verse three. Here's the magic word. Yet, see kind of this argument with himself? I feel like you've left. Yet, I know some things that go deeper than my feelings. This is big. I know some things that go deeper than my feelings. What does he know? Verse three. Yet you are holy. Oh. The one word picture of the amazing character of God. I know who you are. You created everything. You gave the people your law. I know what you're like. You are holy. You're righteous. You're beautiful. True. You're just. You're worthy of praise. Not only does he look to God's character, he looks to God's care for his people. Look at verse four. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So not only does he see God's character, he looks at God's resume in the care of his people. Others have lamented, right? Verse five. To you they cried. And what did God do for them? He rescued them. He came through. You have a track record, God. So what is David doing? Is he lamenting? And big time. But he's lamenting with a stubborn faith. And for God's people throughout history, these two things have been rocks and anchors for their faith. God's character and what God has done in the past. Why do we read the Bible? Well, there's lots of reasons. But number one is you see God's character. Number two, you also see God's faithfulness with his people. So when it feels like he's gone, you cling to these things. That was complaint number one. Now here's complaint number two. We start in verse six. I'm a worm and not a man. Have you ever prayed that? Um, I don't know of any sports teams with the mascot of worm. It's not something humans generally want to be connected with. Why? Because worms are, yeah, they're that. They're slimy and gross, and if you find it in your food, you, you, you disgust it, and you throw it out, and they leak, and they're, they're despised. Ooh, a worm, right? Here's David saying, the way I feel right now is that I'm about as valuable um, as just, He's looking for words to describe something that's just not valuable, unvaluable, despised, gross. That's the way I feel. And not only that, in his situation, 
there's these crowd of influential people mocking him, scorning him, insulting him, mistreating him. And so it's playing into the way that he feels about himself. I can, I can relate to this. I can relate to this. God, I feel like trash. And I've got people in my life who are telling me that's about right. And he's pouring this out to God. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? Look what they say. Verse seven, all who see me mock me. They make their mouth, they make mouths at me. Do you like these pictures? They wag their heads. How do you make a mouth? You know, you're just like, you got it right, right? Make a mouth. You know, go ahead. Yeah, some of you are doing it really well. Hey, wait, why do you do that when I preach all the time? I'm kidding. You're making mouths, you're wagging your head like, nah, man. There's a worm, you know. And look what they say. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Here's the attack. You know what, bro? If God really loved you, you wouldn't be in a situation like this. You know what they're saying? If you really had a real faith, if you really trusted the Lord, if you really obeyed him, he wouldn't let you be in a situation like this. Your faith, they are saying, is fake. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe it's not enemies shouting this at you. Maybe it's even worse. Maybe it's the voices of your own head saying, if God loved me, he wouldn't let me be in a situation like this. If I was really faithful as a Christian, my life wouldn't be like this. Wow, have you, I've heard, I have heard that. Who's saying it in the psalm? It's not the people you're supposed to trust. That's not a trustworthy voice. That's not true. I mean, if you had any, if you had any rational thinking to that, of course it's not true. Do you want to say that everyone who has a worse situation than you right now, God doesn't love any of them? I mean, are we supposed to say like God doesn't love anyone in Haiti? But yet we take that kind of horrid doctrine and believe it about ourselves. Oh, when my life is bad, it must mean God doesn't love me. What? But we hear those voices, David's crying out, I feel like nothing, I feel like trash. Here's the stubborn faith, verse nine. Do you see that word again? Yet, but, I know I feel this way, but here's the truth, verse nine. You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Who's there in these verses in David's life from the start? You, 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 you. And he's saying, God, wait, I know this. I know this. You've been with me from the beginning. You've been helping me from the start. I've, know, I've known you for a long time. I know I feel like nothing and worthless and that they're attacking that my face not even real. But wait, no, 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 I've known you. I've known you, you've been there. Stubborn faith, remembering God's faithfulness. Now let's go to complaint number three. It's, it's much longer. It goes 11 all the way down to 18. And the stubborn faith in 19 to 21 is a little less confident. All we have left in 19 to 21 is, you better help her, it's all over for me. You better help or it's all over. But look at verses 11. We'll, we'll work in through 11 to 18. Verse 11, be not far from me. Trouble's near. There's none to help. There's none to help. Have you ever felt alone? I don't have anybody that can get me out of this. God, if you don't come, if you don't come, I don't have anybody. I'm alone. 
I've felt that way. Verse 12 to 13, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan. They open wide their mouths like a ravening and roaring lion. So you have this lion bull creature. Uh, supposedly, scholars say these bulls of Bashan were kind of famous and legendary for being aggressive and violent. Uh, some of the nearby idolatrous cults would, would use them kind of as like symbols of demonic spiritual power. So there's a, there's a sense in the context of just being evil and cruel and violent. They're like lions. So he feels like, um, he feels like prey, like he's being hunted and they've surrounded him and they've got him and he's just laying in the dust and there's nobody to help. The only people there are him and those who want to eat him alive. That's all that's left. Then you get amazing language in 14 to 16. Uh, David's pouring, giving this uh, poetic language for this, just, this sense of coming apart. Have you ever felt so much stress that it felt like it was hard to talk? or that you couldn't breathe, or that you couldn't function, uh, you didn't wanna move, oh, look at this. I'm poured out like water, my bones are out of joint, aching, my heart's like wax, maybe, maybe he's lacking courage or um, esteem. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, it's just a broken piece of pot that's been sitting in the sun, it's just a step above dust. Um, my tongue sticks to my jaws, I can't talk. Um, Verse 17, I count all my bones. They stare at glowed at me. Verse 18, what's this all about? They divide my garments among them for my clothing they cast lots. I hear in David him just saying, nobody has any compassion. Nobody cares about me and, and how I'm doing or how I'm feeling. All anybody wants is just my stuff. There's no compassion. So then he gets down and the, the stubborn faith, all that's left here is 19 to 21. It's real, it's strong, but it's just coming to its last, uh, last grasp. Verse 19, you, O Lord, don't be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. I just think of laying in the dust and the lion approaching, the lion approaching, and the last thing you see are the fangs coming to meet your trachea? And all you have left is, save me. I got nothing. I'm, I'm this close to the end. I have nowhere to go. I have no strength of my own. Save me. Save me. Still, though, it's faith, isn't it? Is he cursing God here? Is he denying God here? No. Is he hurting, is he confused, is he pleading? Yeah, sure, but is there stubborn faith? You bet, you guys, lament is faith. It is faith. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not, that's not doubt in the sense of, I'm not sure you're real or I'm not sure you're good. It's not doubt at all. It's when the equation of who God is and his relationship with you doesn't seem to fit these situations. Where are you? But that's faith. To whom is David looking with all his might? God. Lament is faith. It is faith. All right, now we have this strange verse. Do you see why I think 21 is so strange? He's laying in the dust with the lion about to take him apart. And then the second half of the verse, what does he say? You've rescued me. And he just... What, just like that? Like, 
out of nowhere, instantly. It's hard for us to relate with, isn't it? Because that's not the way it always feels. When we're lamenting, before we get to trying to understand that, let's just see what he says. Let's just take him at his word for his experience, okay? He lamented with stubborn faith, and what does he now shockingly, surprisingly enjoy? It's a celebration of God's satisfying deliverance. A celebration of God's satisfying deliverance. He hosts a party. This has kind of the echo of maybe a, a feast or a sacrifice you'd have in Leviticus. If you made a vow to God and, and God gave you what you were hoping for, you'd bring, you'd bring your friends, your family, you'd bring the poor, your neighbors, and you'd go sacrifice to the Lord, and then you'd um, eat steak together in praise to God. And so he's having this kind of party on, hey, look what God did for me. I'll tell your name to all my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I'll praise you. He's brought everybody in to express his joy and what God has done for him. Verse 24, look what David says. He that's God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has what? He's heard when I cried to him. So he's received this deliverance, the celebration, and now he's saying, remember verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse two, how come you don't hear when I call? Now in verse 23, verse 24, he's saying, oh, you were listening the whole time. Oh, you were listening the whole time. Guess what David's whispering to you here? You can't always trust your feelings. You can't always trust your feelings on how close God is, on God's love for you, on God's nearness. You may be convinced he's not listening and find out later, oh yeah, he was. Oh yeah, he was. In fact, David is saying, if you lament with stubborn faith, you will find that he was listening. You will find it. So beautiful. Verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I'll perform before those who fear him. Verse 26, I think it's my favorite verse here. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. How you go from afflicted to satisfied. Wow, that's, that's the promise here for those who lament with stubborn faith. At some point, somehow, there will be a shocking celebration and satisfaction that ends in praise. So we've seen David's example, right? Example of lament with stubborn faith. We wanna plug in our laments like that. When you lament with stubborn faith, what can you somehow expect? A shocking celebration of deliverance and satisfaction. That's the promise of this psalm. Now, maybe if you're like me, you're going, verse 21 is too hard for me. It's too hard for me to go from my deep lament to, you've saved me. <laughs> it doesn't always feel like that. It's not working like that. How am I supposed to enter into this? How am I supposed to believe this, celebrate it, feel like it's real? I think we still need a source of that hope. And so I'm gonna give it to you now. There's someone else you need to see and hear in the psalm, there's another voice. Let's move towards it. Something very strange to me, verse 27 and 28. We, we, could have, we could have ended at 26, don't you think? The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Amen. 
But then he moves on into all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Families of the nation shall worship before you. Kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. The prosperous of the earth eat and worship. So people are humbling themselves. How did David's deliverance end up changing the world? Nations are humbling themselves and coming to worship God now because David got delivered? How does that work? What does that mean? Strange, isn't it? There's another place in the Bible where Psalm 22 is quoted extensively. Extensively. It's in Matthew's eyewitness testimony of the life of of Jesus. You know, when Matthew started his gospel, he said of Jesus, this is the beginning or the genealogy of Jesus. He calls him the son of Abraham and he also calls him the son of David. The son of David. I wanna spend a little time now with you in Matthew 27. And you're gonna see here how Matthew takes Psalm 22 and I guess the best word is fulfills it, shows how it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, shows how every crack and fissure and question is answered and shown to be real and true in the faithful lament of Jesus himself. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. 16. Do you remember that one? It's a strange verse for uh, commentators and scholars who don't believe in prophecy or the miraculous, really don't know what to do with it. Do you remember Psalm, uh, look at 22, 16. What did they do to his hands and his feet? It pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, some scholars say uh, there's nothing in the life of David. We, we know about David's life, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. There's nothing in the life of David that can seem to answer some of this deeply stirring language. For instance, they pierce my hands and my feet. Now, 2020 vision being a Christian, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like a cross. In what other context are you getting your hands and feet Pierced, But here's what's strange. Crucifixion wasn't invented until maybe 500 years after David. He has no concept of it. It doesn't exist yet. It's not in his culture. It's not in his thinking. Not only 22.16, look at 22.18. Remember what David said? They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Given those two things, now take your eyes to Matthew 27, 35. What did they do to Jesus, the son of David, on the cross? When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by what? Casting lots. These compassionless Roman soldiers not caring at all for the one hanging there, just wanting his stuff. How did David know that about the next David? Well, of course, he, he didn't. 
But as Acts says, sometimes David was a prophet by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is telling you in this lament of the first draft of the king, the ultimate lament of the ultimate king. The faithful lament of the ultimate son of David. Uh, You remember Psalm 22, verse 14. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Can you imagine now Jesus with me? Do you remember how they scourged him? Remember those cat of nine tails kind of whips where they've got these leather thongs and on the ends there's metal and nails and shards of rock and glass and they would, they would whip that on his back and it would stick and then they would pull and they did it over and over and again. Anybody who's considered the science of this? I mean, talk about being poured out like water. The skin is gone, the blood is flowing Then verse 24, all my bones are out of joint. One scholar of crucifixion says that it's likely that as they, after they had nailed him to the cross and they dropped him down to hang, his shoulders and elbows would have been dislocated. In this position, one scholar says Jesus' arms would stretch to a minimum of six inches longer than their original length. My bones are out of joint. Or Psalm twenty two fourteen. my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. You know how you actually die on a cross? Uh, I'm gonna quote Dr. Colleen Schriller from APU. You can read along with me. This is what happens when you hang on a cross. Carbon dioxide builds up in the blood, resulting in a high level of carbonic acid in the blood, the body responds instinctively, triggering the desire to breathe. At the same time, the heart beats faster to circulate available oxygen. The decreased oxygen due to the difficulty in exhaling causes damage to the tissues and the capillaries begin leaking watery fluid from the blood into the tissues. This results in a buildup of fluid around the heart and lungs. The collapsing lungs, failing heart, dehydration, and the inability to get sufficient oxygen to the tissues essentially suffocate the victim. The decreased oxygen also damages the heart itself, which leads to cardiac arrest. Jesus most likely died of a heart attack. My heart is melted like wax. Indeed. And what were the people doing to him as he died? You remember Psalm 22, seven. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Read Matthew's account now, Matthew 27. Verse 39. Those who passed by derided him. Doing what? Wagging their heads. Saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be here. If you're really his king, you wouldn't hang there. Verse 41, so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God, let God now deliver him. It's hard for me to imagine how you hate somebody so bad that you can mock them while they're on a cross. It's harder for me to imagine how these guys who are mocking Jesus are quoting a section of their own Bible about the king. 
and they were fulfilling God's very word as they mocked God's very son. And now we know why Jesus said what he did. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, I always butcher the Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, you know what it means. What does it mean? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? It's heavy, isn't it? How Jesus is the fulfillment in striking detail of every detail of David's psalm of lament. He's the ultimate in lamenting with stubborn faith. But now remember that strange verse. Remember that weird verse, 21. I'm eating the mouth mouth of the lions right here. You've saved me. How does that work? How do, you, how do you plug that in with Jesus and his experience? Come on, you know. Matthew 27, all is lost. So lost, he's died on a cross. Turn the page. Matthew 28, they walk to the tomb and it's empty. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. What else? What else could make a verse like this make sense? Utter despair. The Son of God crucified to ultimate victory and celebration and satisfaction. He's alive. There's nothing else in history that could meet this verse like that moment. The darkest of darkness and the brightest of lights instantaneously. Just give it three days, Friday to Sunday. He's alive. He's alive. And it changes Everything. But I'm talking about this all in context of how it gives you power to hope. Gives you power to hope. Here's how. When Jesus said, well, let's start with David. When David said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David felt forsaken, but he wasn't. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. Those hours of darkness, he was taking on himself the wrath of God that we deserve. God did forsake him on the cross. God did treat him like the worm of worms, the scum of scums, because he was wearing our darkest sins, all our sins, But when you see this psalm through the light of Jesus and what he's done, you realize that because Jesus actually was forsaken, that's the ground and foundation for knowing that you will never be forsaken. God will never forsake you if you are in Christ. Never. Hebrews 13.5 talks about how Christians can live with confidence. And here's the reason. He's talking to Christians who are losing their property and being persecuted, and some are in prison. And he says, you can live with confidence, Hebrews 13, 5. Why? For he has said, what? I will never leave you or forsake you. 
Let that add to your stubborn faith. When you feel like he's forsaken me, what do you remember? The cross. The cross. And you tell yourself, I belong to Jesus. He'll never forsake me. He'll never forsake me. Because Jesus wore my sins and rose from the dead. Friends, no matter how bad our life can get, and it can get pretty bad here, can it? The least we can expect from God as we lament with stubborn faith, the least we can expect from God as we lament with stubborn faith is resurrection. That's the least, okay? If you got the worst you could get, and when you finally face the mouth of the lion closing on your, on your neck, guess what's next for you if you're in Christ? Resurrection. <laughs> you're alive. You're with the Lord. You're having a feast of celebration and satisfaction in his presence and in his new world with his people forever. Forever. And of course, doesn't he come through in a million ways other than resurrection in this life? Hasn't he come through for you? If we had a party where we just made a list of huge prayers, huge needs, and how God came through, couldn't we have some answers? Couldn't we say how he has come through, how he has been faithful? We could. We could go on and on. We could praise him for that. Look now at verses 27 to 31. David says, hey, I've been delivered. The world is getting changed Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation shall worship before you. Verse 30, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he's done it. Did you know that sometimes you're actually in the Bible? These verses are about you. David was delivered. The ultimate David was delivered. And the nations will come and worship before this great God and will tell the next generation and will proclaim his righteousness. Right now, he's done it. He saved us. Isn't that what we're doing today? Jesus has done it. He saved you. He paid for your sins. He rose from the dead. Through faith in him, you are a child of God. You are forgiven. You are loved. You have meaning and purpose and value. You'll never be forsaken. You belong to him. He's yours through Christ. He's done it. And now the nations come. Here we are. And we worship. And we praise him for saving us. Wow. Jesus lamented in your place to give you his celebration. This teaches us so much about lament today, doesn't it? When you need that stubborn faith in the midst of your lament, because we still lament, where do you look, friends? Look to the cross. Look to the cross. You'll never be forsaken, and you know this because you trust the Savior who went to the cross for you. Number two, the cross tells you what to truly lament. The cross tells you what to truly lament, and what is that? What was Jesus dying for? Ultimately, it was your sin. It was your sin. Now, is all this wreckage that we face an echo of sin? Well, sure. 
But ultimately, he's dying for your sins, which means the ultimate thing to lament, to be sorrowful for, to grieve over is what? It's your sin. Just pause for one moment. If you stood before God without a savior, without a mediator, if you stood before God based on what you've thought, you've wanted, what you've said, what you've done, what you've done to people, what you haven't done that you should have done, if you stood before a holy God like that, how would it go for you? I don't, I don't wanna be there. And can we now stand looking at Jesus' lament and his victory and know we're forgiven? He's paid for all my sins. Listen, if that's your deepest problem and that deepest problem has been met, that means that no, mu- no matter what else life throws at you, you have a source of joy and thanksgiving. When the worst news comes, you can go, I'm forgiven. He saved me from my sins. I belong to him. I'm loved. Finally, the cross gives you hope and lament. Does Jesus know what it means to suffer? Does he, knows what, does he know what, what it feels like? When you feel like God is far, when you feel like he's forgotten you, does Jesus, has he tasted that? Oh, so much. Does he have compassion for you? Does the one who died for you have compassion for you? Yes, so much. And does he promise a hope and a future? Of course, the resurrection guarantees it somehow, in some way. There's hope in our lament because Jesus lamented for us and he rose from the dead and we belong to him. So are you invited to lament? Lament away. Just don't do it without Jesus. Just don't do it without Jesus. He's our hope in lament. We're gonna continue our worship this morning. Um, We'll take up the offering, then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. Did you notice how those who are lamenting in this psalm are all of a sudden having a feast and being satisfied? Okay, that's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna celebrate the supper where we eat the bread, which represents his body broken for us, and we drink the juice representing his blood shed for us, and we're gonna praise him together and celebrate what he's done. Will you pray with me as we get ready for that? Our Father, thank you so much for sending your Son. And Jesus, we just give you honor and praise for suffering like none of us have ever suffered and for doing it for us, for doing it for me. Lord, you know what it's like and you've saved us from our sins. You rose from the dead, we trust you. And Lord, help us, help us now as we lament whatever we're lamenting, as we bring it to you. We thank you that you listen to it, you care about it, you've done it yourself, you know but give us hope and joy knowing you've won the ultimate victory and we're yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.